Hey, I'm Asher. And I'm Jackson. And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential. So, I have another intro topic coming to us live from my wife, Shannon, who apparently only every the only other time i've asked her to come up with an intro topic it was the the christmas coliseum and apparently she can only do battles to the death from fictional characters <laughs> because her other intro topic for today is who would win in a fight between papa john and little caesar all right first and foremost little caesar has a spear also though good important to note he's little <laughs> okay this is true but maybe only relative to big caesar and we don't know how big that guy is i think if he was only relative in size to caesar i don't know i'm gonna assume that papa john is exactly six feet tall and average build so the he's just the most generic looking man so we're basically pitting little caesar against the strength of an average human And I think since neither of us know enough actual historical anatomy to know the size of regular or large Caesar, then we should assume that he's little in comparison to an average man. Although he has a very stocky build and is clearly quite sturdy. And there's also the possibility that he's little in the sense that any like mobster is little and it's like a little joke. It's, you know, you have the ginormous 300 pound guy named Tiny, little Caesar, What if that's just like a play on how massive he is? I feel like you could argue, though, that if it was Lil Caesar, like a like a mafia henchman, it would be L.I.L. Caesar and not the Mm. word little spelled out. That's true. But I think it's also probably valuable enough to know that Papa John is a papa, meaning his fighting days are beyond him. He is a dad now and he's got more to lose. He's definitely got more to lose, which would give him more of an incentive. But I also think he probably has a little bit of a gut. I, ima- I imagine Papa John drinks Coors Light. I mean, can, do you not think that little Caesar, who apparently subsists and rules over a dominion made entirely of pizza, doesn't have a bit of a tummy? Although I'm looking at him now, the man's looking pretty fit and doesn't have huge guns, but he, he looks healthy. I think I'm leaning towards little Caesar here just because the idea of little Caesar is that he would have some sort of spear. Yeah, you were very right about that. And I can't imagine Papa John has any weaponry other than like a a skillet he really loves. Little Caesar being beweaponed is not something that just comes up in the commercials. That's the logo. Plus, little isn't entirely a downside. It could have his uh, it could have some benefits more agile. Judging by the shape of his body, he's got a very low center of gravity. But let's just be realistic and realize that he would just throw Papa John straight to the lion's. And for for the entire arena to enjoy the carnage. If this were real life, of course. Would they be Little Lions? (laughs) I love that song. (laughs) But Mumford and Sons references aside, I'm really tired of jokes. Jackson, I'm sick of jokes. Not in general, just about the Illuminati. It's played out. Dead meme, dead joke. And I want to talk about the Freemasons. And I want to do it from the perspective where it's not... Ha ha, it's a secret society, Illuminati, get it? Because, I mean, by the time that there was the Taco Bell Bell Illuminati, you knew the joke was over. I don't know. I think there's a sweet spot in me for Taco Bell, which is 
larger than I'd like it to be. I loved that ad campaign, honestly. Okay, it was pretty funny, but the time that it's been a completely corporatized like that, you know that it's over the hill in terms of freshness. Anytime that a corporation gets their hand on a meme, it's near the end of its lifespan. Granted, Taco Bell is often creating the memes and has some of the best social media ever, but that's not really what I want to get into because we're not talking about the Illuminati. We're talking about the Freemasons or Taco Bell or the blood clot in your arteries that you affectionately call a warm spot. I thought we said we wouldn't talk about that on the show. Look, we, we all just want you to get help and take care of yourself, Jackson. This is a long con for an intervention, isn't it? Like, I just want to understand this organization better. And I feel like everyone is only vaguely familiar with what this group is. And learning more about it can be difficult because it is mired in conspiracy and because it is it's layered with so much history that if you're not genuinely interested... It's just kind of too much. I think, though, there's definitely less of a mystery to it than there is to the Illuminati and to organizations like that. Because I remember when I was in Waco, wasn't there a Masonic temple there or something? Yes. And a very large Masonic library and a lodge. It's it's kind of a hot spot for the Freemasons in Texas. It feels like Waco is kind of a hot spot for a lot of conspiracy in Texas. (laughs) This is true. But again, that's a road we don't want to go down because that goes way down. But even if you don't live in Waco, Texas, every small, even small towns will have at least the remnants, if not an active Freemason Lodge. Although I guess Waco did have Taco Bells, too. Hmm. All the pieces are coming together. No, they're not. We need to focus. Sorry. I know you're hungry. (laughs) I'll stop distracting. (laughs) There is a lodge in every town in America. But what did they do? Clearly, it's a large organization. But what does Freemason even mean? Do you even know where the name came from? Uh, I assume something related to stonemasonry. Exactly. But what does that have to do with this organization? You don't have to have the ability to carve stones to become a Freemason. The name and a lot of the terminology within the organization is what points us to its origin. Because, and I want to bring this up front, there is no clear-cut starting point of the Freemasons. It is disappointingly, but somehow unsurprisingly, all speculative. And I want to give you a little slice of this proves that we don't just read the Wikipedia around here because the Wikipedia is extremely confusing, much more confusing than most of the other reads I was able to find. The Wikipedia gives you just a summary of everything. But it's also very esoteric. From the section speculative histories, here's a sentence. The earliest known ritual place for the first Masonic Lodge in the porchway of King Solomon's Temple, following Anderson, has been possible to trace Freemasonry to Euclid, Pythagoras, Moses, and Coldes. Preston started with his history of the Druids, while Anderson's description of the Noachides extrapolated on Albert McKay, who put Noah into the equation. What does any of that mean? They, they just throw names and places and biblical-sounding things? Yeah, that's so, awful. I don't, know, I don't know what any of that means. Neither do I. And every one of those names is blue, which means I can click on it and it'll take me to a brief description of who that is. But that is exactly how you start going down a Wikipedia wormhole. There's actually a much better, more concise source that we can start from. And that is the Masonic Service Association. I knew that was going to happen. The Masonic Service Association of North America. That's a tongue twister. They have much to my relief concise 
and sectioned histories for different topics. History of Freemasonry, Organization of Freemasonry, Freemasonry and Brotherhood, and Religion, and Secrecy, and Women, Youth Organizations. These are all categories with a nice, clean, 1,000-word essay. I'm sure having it be straightforward like that is very intentional, then. Yes. But actually, before we even get over to them, I want to go back to that, that question that I didn't quite answer. What is a Mason? And it comes from medieval times, the 1300s, thereabouts. There is no actual specific beginning and end of the Middle Ages. Which we've talked about before. Yes, we have. And real listeners will know how confusing that gets. But the important thing to know is that during this time, it was after the fall of the, of the Roman Empire, and the church took over and was in power. And a very important role for people outside of the church was building the temples churches, cathedrals, and castles. Mm-hmm. Actually making the facilities for these powers to reside in was very important and required highly skilled craftsmen. So stonemasons were just that, guys who worked with stones because that's what these buildings were made out of. And they were wealthy for the time because they had a highly sought after and educated skill. But they led nomadic lives compared to people who had tr- similar trades. Other tradesmen could effectively stay where they were as there was enough trade for their skill to allow them to settle. This is coming from historylearningsite.co.uk. However, Masons had to move on to their next source of employment once a building was completed, and that could be miles away. Since they had to be on site during the construction and everything had to be carefully overseen, then that means that they didn't really have a place of permanent residence. They just lived wherever the next building site was. This is so much harder to think about now because now we've got like trucks and everything and I could just get on a bus even if I needed to to get a couple miles away. But with this, it, it genuinely was. They had to walk there or yeah. ride a horse. And in the same way that there's always a porta potty at a construction site because there is no functioning restroom, at this time, there was no home for them to go to. So they built these Masonic lodges a place for Freemasons to stay during the construction of a cathedral or other equally important building. But this isn't the kind of thing, because when I first imagine that, I think of like, it's a tent for the people working on this building to be at, but it's more like your building in this area will build a home for anybody building in this area. Is that more like it? Okay. It's a little more like that. Okay, that gives us a general idea of these craftsmen but it doesn't really explain how it became a society that existed for almost a thousand years. That brings us back to the official Masonic Service Association of North America website, where they say no one knows for certain how or when the Masonic fraternity was formed. A widely accepted theory among Masonic scholars is that it arose from the Stonemasons Guild during the Middle Ages. The language and symbols used in the fraternity's rituals come from this era. The oldest document that makes reference to the Masons is the Regis poem, which was printed in 1390, which was a copy of an earlier work. It wasn't until 1717 that four lodges in London formed the very first Grand Lodge of England. And the records from that point on are much more complete. That means there were 300 years in there, at least, that are completely undocumented. And that's where the origin gets really hard to trace. Of course chronicling of history during the Middle Ages at all is a difficult thing to do. But we do know that in 1717, the first Grand Lodge was formed. This is when these 
guilds basically formed a cohesive society and it wasn't just local to each town. And so they they had more of a community as opposed to being like essentially fancy free hotels. Yeah, they were much more autonomous. And then from that point onward, it was an organization. And within just 30 years, the fraternity had spread throughout all of Europe and the American colonies. So 300 years, then they formed the first Grand Lodge. And then within just 30 years, it spread like wildfire. Have you seen the film Grand Budapest Hotel? I have. You know, when uh, I think it's Bill Murray's character calls or no, it's uh, when Ralph Fiennes character calls the community of like hotel owners. This is that's what it feels like in all seriousness to me right now is that it's a community of and it goes from like one person picking up the phone and asking for a favor to a bunch of different people in a row asking for favors. It's like I think it's called something like the community of the keys. Yes, it feels like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same kind of mindset where you have people of a similar ability in the same trade and they form this organization that at its core is meant to have each other. You have each other's backs and you under, there's an implicit understanding of each other because you're in the same field of work. Yeah. And this had a lot of appeal because here's a list of important names. George <laughs> Washington was a Mason. Benjamin Franklin served as the head of a fraternity in Pennsylvania. So did Paul Revere. Joseph Warren in Massachusetts. Plenty of well-known Masons were involved in the founding of America. It actually, this is a sweeping statement, but I feel like it was even more of a success once it reached the United States than it was in London where it started. Well, I'm sure when you're traveling across the sea trying to form land over here, any kind of community you had before is going to be more valuable. Throughout the 1800s and the early 1900s, Freemasonry grew dramatically. At that time, the government provided no safety net. The Masonic tradition of founding orphanages, homes for widows, and homes for the aged provided the only security that many people knew. Hmm. Over the centuries, Freemasonry has developed into a worldwide fraternity, emphasizing personal study, self-improvement, and social betterment with individual involvement and philanthropy. During the late 1700s, it was one of the organizations most responsible for spreading the ideals of the Enlightenment and the importance of public education. Masons supported the first public schools in both Europe and America. Okay, that's all well and good, but it still doesn't really answer, like, what do they do? So, yeah, it seems like this definitely had a good purpose at the start. And I don't know that they don't have a good purpose now. I just know that if we're lumping them in the category with the Illuminati and Taco Bell, then they probably have sinister motives nowadays. I feel like back then it was just a community that made sense a community that kind of like a large fraternity or something. Well, that's exactly the word that they use. Although I was a bit too much of an insufferable hipster in college and learned absolutely nothing about Greek life or what a fraternity really even is. And I was hoping to get actually a little bit of your expertise on that matter. So I didn't do an exactly the same kind of fraternity. (laughs) Yeah. Because mine was very much a kind of an anti-fraternity, but I know, I knew a lot of guys who were in fraternities and understood the kind of the premise of it. But yeah, this feels like that, where it's a community of guys going through weirdly hard times and rituals to be all together and to be a community. And so it makes sense that like, I had a friend who moved out here from my dorm freshman year and he got a job 
out here and is living out here with one of his brothers from his fraternity that he was in. And so it's stuff like that where they post-grad have these connections together that are valuable like that. And so that's what made me feel like this is more fraternity-esque. I think ultimately that's a lot what it comes down to is the connections you get from it. Because what like when it, they talk about all the social good that the Freemasons do, and they do just that. Except all of the charitable donations that the, that they contribute to society, you can just do that. You don't have to be a Freemason to donate to a hospital or a retirement home. Right. They do all these good things, sure, but that doesn't really justify its existence because that's there's nothing impeding you from doing that on your own. So at the point of people like George Washington being Masons, at that point, were they still... I mean, were they still kind of stonemasons, a community of that? Or was it less about the actual career choice of these men? By the time that there was the first Grand Lodge in the 1700s, it was much less focused on the actual guild of stone workers and was more about the ideals that were formed from that group. So then what was the point of the stonemasons at that point? In the 1700s? Yeah, I think it's just bros being dudes, my man. And this is this is my sophisticated theory that I've pulled together. I think that at the beginning, these guys pulled together because it's a difficult job. They had to live together. And it just boils down to, I got your back, bro. Hey, dude, anything you need, you just let me know, bro. I got your back. Mason's forever. And within that camaraderie, there formed a group that... If you were a part of, you could expect all of the support and the benefits of that organization. And I think I, that that system of support became appealing to people outside of the trade. It, it basically becomes at the very beginning, it was based on job essential. So us stonemasons need to be working on this building. But the home that we had for the last building was three days ride away from here. So we're going to form this building. And because we're the best at this. We're going to get funding to be able to build infrastructure to build more here. And so that community is being formed and I'm living with these people and just forming a community through that. And I imagine back in the 1700s when it started becoming more about the community and less about the actual career path, it probably had to do with them trying to be a part of something and a part of a community that was entirely about the people in it and less uh, religious or government organization, right? I think that sums it up really well. Okay. Except what do they do? Like, what do Freemasons do in a meeting? That's something we still don't really know. And that leads me to Freemasonry and secrecy coming from their website. People sometimes refer to Freemasonry as being a quote-unquote secret society. In one sense, the statement is true. Well, they just, they just went ahead and said it. Any social group or private business is quote-unquote secret in the sense that its business meetings may be open only to its members. Except everyone, I, I understand that private companies can't divulge all the information that, you know, it's, it's, there is sensitive information within every company. Right. But no one is guessing what we're doing. We're working in a cubicle, we're going to meetings, we're doing regular old business shit. There's no mystery to it. Yeah, what do they do? <laughs> Well, in Freemasonry, the process of joining is also a private matter, and its members are pledged not to discuss with non-members certain parts of the ceremonies that are associated with the organization. Okay, so you're, it, starting, you're starting to scare me a little. 
So it is just a hundred percent Kappa Chi masonry. It's just a it fraternity. Ha- it, yeah. It has a very college fraternity kind of thing going on. Freemasonry does have certain handshakes and passwords, which are customs incorporated into later fraternities, which are kept private. They are a means of recognizing each other, which is necessary in an organization which spans the entire world and which encompasses many languages. The tradition of using handshakes and passwords was very common in the Middle Ages, when the ability to identify oneself as belonging to a building or a trade guild often made the difference in getting a job or obtaining help for yourself and family. There was no health care and there weren't any government funded orphanages, anything like that that exists for this public good. It was basically it basically fell on the people to take care of it. And the Freemasons were some of the most well to do during this period. Let's say you're on the job and you break your leg and now you're a Freemason who can't walk. So you're not really of any use. Are you just done for? Well, a lot of them would have been af- afraid of that concept, and that's why they have this brotherhood, because they all support each other. It's like, hey, you get hurt, we'll take care of you. Being, they uh, they, they kind of talk about how you can use that connection as leverage for getting a job, and I would theorize that that's something that still happens today. I do wonder if people are secretly getting an advantage over other applicants for a job because they're a Freemason, and the employer is a Freemason, and only the two of them knows it. So other than potential nepotism, it still doesn't sound like this is a bad thing. <laughs> for, the, for the listeners, not me, because I know what nepotism means for sure. For the listeners, <laughs> explain what nepotism <laughs> means. Uh, nepotism is basically like, I am Mr. Douglas and my son, Ezekiel Douglas. I'm going to give him a job over a more qualified candidate. I gotcha. Well, here's the appeal of the organization today right here. Freemasons make the same pledge to every member that he will be offered assistance if he or his family ever requests it. That sounds ominous in such a good way. Like, I love how spooky that is. Like, no matter what, we'll assist you. Freemason, Freemasonry can't be called a secret society in a literal sense. A truly secret society forbids its members to disclose that they belong in the organization or that it even exists. But much of the Masonic rituals is chronicled in books called monitors that are widely available even in public libraries. Most Freemasons wear rings and lapel pins, which clearly identify them as members of the fraternity. So then what is the point of the handshakes and the passwords? I don't understand. (laughs) I love the way they phrase that. It's like, of course we can't be a secret society. You're reading about us. (laughs) No. Masonic lodges are listed in phone books. And the buildings are clearly marked. Many of the country's Masonic lodges place signs on the roads leading into the town, along with civic organizations showing the time and place of meetings. In terms of what it does, what it teaches, who belongs, where it meets, there are no secrets in Freemasonry! Exclamation mark. <laughs> Trying way too hard! Exclamation mark. It is a private fraternal association of men who contribute much towards the public good while enjoying the benefits of the brotherhood of a fraternity. But what are the benefits? Dog, what are the benefits? That's where this... I don't think anyone has any problem knowing that you're a group that meets in a building. We want to know what the benefits are. That's where people get upset and begin to imagine things. Can I sum up everything I know about the society right now? Do it. Basically, we're a society. We are for sure not a secret one, though, because you're reading about us on this website that we published ourselves with exclamation points. 
We are a society and people get benefits from being in the society. And that is very true. (laughs) (laughs) Ask me any questions. I can answer any question about our society. Well, what's up with the rings? We, We have rings because we're a society. Oh, that's a good point. Well, what uh, what are what's up with some of the passwords? Passwords keep us to be part of a society. As I said before, we're a society and a Mm -hmm. community. I'm going to use some inductive reasoning and I'm going to feel out a pattern that's forming right now. Yeah. What's your what's your diagnosis, Doc? I think you can always just say that it's a society. (laughs) And look again, I wanted to keep this as sober as possible. I don't really believe that the Freemasons are up to anything sinister. If anything, I think it is a great example of the power of any form of secrecy and how people respond to that. Maybe I'm just thinking about it from a storyteller's perspective, but anytime that something is kept secret and you know it, your mind automatically assumes the most dramatic thing it can think of to fill that void. Like, your parents are home late. You don't know where they are. You're only six. You don't have a phone. You just assume they died in a fiery car crash. It's funny because that's really the first place you go to is, oh, they said they'd be home in 30 minutes. It's been two hours. They're dead. You jump to the most dramatic conclusion possible. And I think the the mystery and the silence there is also a big part of it. The fact that we don't really know anything about what the masonic society is other than that it's a society and a community that like does stuff for each other is what's mysterious about it because it makes me feel like i'm playing a hidden roles game where yeah where this one person isn't talking and so i think that they are without a doubt the bad guy but i i I think you're probably right that there's really nothing wrong with the masonic society please let us in i believe in all the things they believe in whatever that might be and I, I really do see how great it would be to be able to benefit from the things that this society provides. Please let us in. Consider this our joint formal letter of application. There is also, though, the philosophy that nothing good happens in the shadows. If something is truly worthwhile and, and something is inherently good, you would never have a reason to hide it. And I think you and I are both being optimistic about them not doing anything bad because we have no evidence of them doing anything bad. But there's also the idea of, if you're not doing anything wrong, what do you have to hide? Exactly. Thank you. That sums it up a lot better. That's a very common sort of view to have. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from. And once you instill that little bit of fear, the mind just races. But there are currently around 4 million members. Now that's still, and I crunched these numbers, 0.05% of the population. So still a very exclusive club, especially considering that it's a global club and has been around for uh, coming up on a thousand years. Think about a couple couple caveats to that, though. Just because it's been around for a thousand years, most people haven't been around for a thousand years. And so it is a large community that has grown. And 0.05% of all people seems like a lot to me. And but that's also my point with so many members worldwide. There's going to be some leaks. They can't release one single video game anymore without almost every part of it being spoiled, because regardless of how much, you know, how much you trust the integrity of your employees, someone's going to spill the beans. And that means I'm confident that there are a lot of things we do know about the Freemasons that they would rather us not. 
And that is what we're going to get into next week. A little bit more of the dirt. I did want to green, lay the groundwork, a place to fill this dirt. And so, yeah, tune in next week for me to dive deep into more of the mystery behind the Masonic Society. That is for sure one thing. You know what that is, Asher? What? A society. <laughs> I don't know why I gave you that. <laughs> you just let me have it. Oh, the maids are here. I guess it's time for housekeeping. And I want to get it started by blasting some music on my little boombox here while I sweep. Oh, it's Threadbare off the album Burner Proof. That's also our theme song. What a coincidence. <laughs> Glimroll wrote that. You can check out all of his music on Spotify, iTunes, any place that you stream music, or glimrollmusic.com. And then if you want to follow us and join our society on social media, our Twitter is S Confident Show and our Instagram is Strictly Confidential Show. And then if you want to shoot us anything, it could be a funny video, it could be something you want us to talk about, it could be a theory, it could be a Snopes, it could be something you want to come on the show for. Our email address is strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. We would love to interview you about what you're passionate about. Come be a guest. Come talk about the Freemasons. I know there are people who know quite a lot more than we do, and we'd love for you to get into the specifics. If you are a Freemason and you listen to the show, and you're feeling a little bit inclined to divulge more information about what your organization does, please let us know because we have no idea what you guys do. Let's see. What do I say after that? Oh, yeah. If you enjoyed this episode or if it was in educational to you, then tell your best friend that you enjoyed it and that they should subscribe to Strictly Confidential also because word of mouth is extremely powerful. Yeah. I think that's it, buckaroo. That's all we do. So until next time, I've been Asher. I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, praise the worshipful master. Nick Cage. Nick Cage.